On behalf of Avpoint Public Sector and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around data governance implementations for the DoD based on lessons learned from CMMC, where Jay Leesk, Principal Solutions Engineer at Avpoint Public Sector, and Bill Wooten, President of C3 Integrated Solutions, will discuss how organizations across the DIB are implementing smart data governance strategies to navigate the challenges in their M365 environments. Thank you so much. Uh, Good morning, everyone. We're going to do webcams instead of slides today, so hopefully this will be a a different type of conversation than you're used to with all the webinars we're attending this year. Uh, So good morning. My name is Jay Leask. I'm the Principal Solution Engineer and Lead Strategist for the National Security Program here at AppPoint Public Sector. Uh, AppPoint is a Microsoft ISV, for those of you not familiar with us, providing tools to migrate, manage, and protect your data in Microsoft, both on-premises and since its release on Office 365. Uh, The pandemic has really changed how people work, but in the DOD and the defense industrial base, it's been a complete turnaround in both how we work and how we think. While Cloud First has been discussed in the commercial sector for quite a while, very few government agencies were following that mindset. However, with the DOD and Microsoft's rollout of the CVR in response to the work from home edicts, The idea that the Department of Defense and its partners in the DIB could use the cloud and were using the cloud completely changed the conversation. Having spent the last year working with our defense and DIB partners on what it means to take a cloud-first mindset, I'm excited today to bring Bill Wooten from C3 Integrated Solutions to the room to talk about what we've learned uh, from those agencies and our DIB partners considering a cloud-first mindset, especially in relation to how regulations such as the CMMC may affect tools uh, like Office 365 when rolled out. Bill, really appreciate you joining me today. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Definitely. So uh, we wrote a, a series of blog, blog articles, blog articles, it's going to be a day. <laughs> we wrote a series <laughs> of blog articles over the past year related to the CVR and what it means to move to an IL-5 or IL-4 or IL-5 environment um, for supporting collaboration. And uh, as part of that, you, uh, you wrote an article specifically on things you've learned from governance relating to CNMC. Yep. Yeah, it was a, it was a great blog. We, we were able to kind of pull apart some of the things that we are seeing in the customer environments, uh, what clients are coming to us with various challenges uh, towards, and then, you know, how we've been able to craft some solutions around that and bring some, some uh, you know, some different ideas and some creativity, obviously leveraging some of the AppPoint solutions towards those, those key challenges our clients were having. So uh, the goal here today to talk about CMMC, the various levels, um, maybe the five stages of grief where they might be, uh, and, and really figure out how do we how do we take that step and and how do we ensure we're not just following the regulation but protecting our data, right? Absolutely, and that's probably a good spot to start. I mean, you know, at this point, there's there's probably twenty webinars a day on various topics around CMMC that really cover you know, what the role is and where it came from and what the roles are about that. But just the, the quick level set for everyone on this call is that, you know, CMMC is all about protecting controlled, unclassified information. And there's five levels of certification that comes with it. Level one is simply 
uh, federal contract information, which all contractors agree to when they sign a contract and they agree to the FAR. There's a rule in there that is effectively CMMC level one. Level two is a transition. Level three, if you're going to hold, store, process, or transit CUI data, then you're going to be level three and you know, you're kind of in the, in the club for that. For those in the defense industry, that correlates somewhat closely to the FAR 7012 with some additional controls and the element of maturity that goes in on top of that as well. Um, so, and that kind of brings us up to one of our first questions for today is, you know, from the audience, if we can get a, an idea of what stage of CMMC folks are aiming for and what they're aspiring to be, uh, be accredited at. Yeah, during the intro, we had a question up that talked about what environment you were in, whether it was uh, GCC, GCC high, commercial. I saw there was a really big spread and actually a lot more people in commercial than I had expected there to be. Um, what are your thoughts on, on how those environments relate to uh, what we're talking about today? Well, it's it, to some extent, it's, it, there is it's all the same. To some extent, it's different. There there are the obvious differences between commercial and GCC and GCC high. Those are mostly about where the data resides, what Microsoft will attest to from a compliance standpoint, and how you know how how that functions for the unique requirements of it. But in terms of the feature functionality of some of the things we're going to talk about around Azure Information Protection, data loss prevention, and how AppPoint tools overlay on top of that, it is pretty much the same. There isn't a big spread of difference. When Microsoft was able to release unified labeling late last year, uh, we got pretty close to parity in this area between the various clouds. Yeah, the, the supporting the, the public sector as much as I have over the last five years, the number one or comment we hear is not just what features are available to me, but how do I know what features are available to me? Yeah. Um, you know, we hear a lot on the commercial side as new things roll out and, and just waiting for them to show up and reading all that documentation, trying to know when is it going to come to me, what's it going to be, is it going to look exactly the same? Um, those are a lot of questions we come across, right? Yeah, we get those every day, especially we do a ton of work in the GCC high space, and there is always that lag between commercial into the GCC high space. Microsoft's doing a great job to close that gap. They've made huge progress over the last couple of years, but there is still a little bit of a lag. And, and even at that point when things roll out, it's not always as even as, as we'd hoped it would be, uh, but we're, we are seeing great progress in that area. Yeah. So, uh, Bill, out of curiosity, um, you know, looking at the questions we see, it, it started out 50-50 between level one and level four, five. Uh, looks like level three is starting to catch up. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing and, and how that relates to what you would have expected? So I'm surprised to see so much of a level four and level five concentration there. Um, you know, CMMC board and, and DOD has communicated pretty clearly. Level one is where they think the majority of people are going to land. I think they're a little overly optimistic on that. Level three is going to be anyone who covers CUI. That's going to be the minimum threshold. So we are seeing a tremendous amount of, of interest and planning and strategy around that. CMMC's kind of said level four and five is going to be reserved for a very small percentage of, of, of contracts. And while they really haven't given any indication of what those mean, I think the great starting point, unless you really know you're in a very sensitive industry, level three is the right target for folks that know that they're holding government data. So uh, you talked a little bit about the differences between, you know, one, three, four, five, and it sounds like the, the quote unquote most sensitive data is where you're going to see a four or five. Can you talk a little bit more about that? 
Well, we don't know too much about that in some ways. They, they're, they're, they're not planning really too many contracts. Uh, I don't think any of them this year, and there might not even be any next year that are going to be four and five. The focus is getting the industry up to level one and level three standards. They will continue to refine and roll out four and five at a, at a later date. So, you know, again, if you're, unless you're working with hypersonics or missile defense or something in that area, I think the right target for most people, assuming you're holding government data, is going to be that level three area. Thanks, Bill. Uh, so what are you seeing in terms of uh, market preparation at this point? So it's, uh, you know, we're seeing obviously a lot of interest. Uh, so we've seen a tremendous difference and a tremendous shift between, say, maybe two years ago and last year and this year. Obviously, with the interim rule coming into effect, it's real. People are taking it seriously. But we still, I kind of like to joke that we do see the five stages of grief with contractors. There are still folks out there that are in denial, that are in anger. They don't understand why they need to do it. They just kind of haven't gotten the, the, you know, the message that this is important. You're holding government data. You are holding national secrets in some level. We need to protect this information. But more and more now we're seeing people progress through that where they're, they've gotten through the bargaining phase and they're into the acceptance. And we're seeing the, a great acceleration of people preparing and taking action to at least accommodate the self, the self assessment rule, which is the priority right now for everyone. But those longer term plans for audits, you know, that's not a flip of a switch. That's a probably at least a three and usually a six to nine month process for people. People are making those investments and decisions now on that. So we're excited about seeing how people are taking it seriously and taking the, take an action to get ready for it. Uh, so, so Bill, um, what are some of the challenges? And, and actually, before we jump into that, uh, uh, the Q&A is open. Um, we are pushing some questions out, but feel free to ask questions in the Q&A, and, and we'll try to address them as we go through. So, Bill, uh, one of the areas of concern is specifically around controlled, sensitive uh, information, CUI. Or, yeah, yeah, controlled, sensitive, or controlled, unclassified information. Um, CUI, yeah. what, what are some of the challenges that companies are facing in trying to protect that? So, so the first thing everyone looks at is, is at the network layer, um, all of the things that need to be put in place to manage the practices, uh, the multi-factor authentication, the network monitoring, the device management, physical security, the guest logs, and then the policies and procedures that layer on top of that so that they can demonstrate the maturity on that piece. Uh, and that's, that's great. That's a great start. It's, it's, you know, some of the low hanging fruit in some ways and some of the things that are, that people can tackle. But as they get deeper and deeper into the process, we also find that what happens is, is when they start really thinking about how do you control the flow of CUI both inside and outside of your organization, that starts to be a little bit harder to deal with because it's a little more abstract and it, it starts to shift more from a technical equation to a business process conversation. And that's where folks tend to struggle a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as I have spoken more and more about Office 365, run workshops on the capabilities of the technology, run workshops on adoption and security. Uh, the one constant is this is no longer uh, what technical capabilities exist. There's a lot of conversation around what are the business problems we're trying to support? Because if you can't understand that, then trying to identify how we're going to protect that business information or that mission information becomes very difficult. Um, uh, it, it Traditionally, right, we're, we're so used to the technology being a put out the technology, tell people it exists, we're going to lock it down and we're done. Um, but right. as as this technology changes so rapidly, as we're trying to introduce new factors like external sharing and partner engagement, 
um, just rolling technology out becomes less and less of a, an appropriate solution. Yeah, absolutely. When, when we roll out an MFA or device management solution, there's pretty hard boundaries of, you know, we're not going to allow access unless you, when, you know, get a text message. We're not going to allow access unless there's a device is enrolled. Those can be pretty well driven. But as you mentioned, like, as we start thinking about the business process on these, you know, what data is CUI is enough of a challenge, and we probably won't cover that today, but once you identify that CUI data, how do you know where it is? How do you make sure you're applying maybe a, a, a header on it or uh, encrypting that file individually or ensuring who has and doesn't have access to it? Those are the things that become much more abstract and so much more challenging. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's interesting looking at the technical capabilities. So we put a new question up, and I feel like we're firing questions left and right. Poor Christina, yeah. normally we're, we're, we're much more docile in that side. Uh, but we, we look at different types of – or different instructions you have to do. You have to you know understand what is your CUI, which, like you said, is a workshop all in and of itself. You have Easily, to figure yeah. out you know, how do you label that content. Um, how do you then turn out who can see that content based on how it's labeled, um, and what other policies do you need to to consider? So, you know, it, it understanding these challenges is, is a big part of that, right? Yeah, and we're seeing that on the results of the question. We'll try to try to talk a little bit about the answers as they come up. Um, you know, identifying CUI over half the respondents say that's the biggest challenge because that's step one, just trying to understand yeah. where it is and and what is that data and and it. You know, there's so many different ways to do it. We tend to focus on things like technical information, controlled information. How do you how do you build stuff around that. It gets slightly more complex and actually more important when it's export controlled data as well. Uh, and there there are some tools to work with that native to say to Microsoft Suite that help with it, but there's it still comes back to that first business process, identifying who should be able to have access to that data and where does that data reside within your system? Because sometimes those system boundaries may not be at the edges. They may be internal and within your overall environment. Yeah, it's, we've been talking with a number of, of federal partners who are looking at utilizing the native capabilities for identifying this content, for putting out their labels. Um, you know, we have a number of technological capabilities like trainable classifiers and uh, uh, other AI-type capabilities, and they're there. Um, it, it's it's a matter of, of learning the tech and really spending some time to figure out how does that tech support what you need to do? For example, the trainable classifiers to auto-label your, your content, it's a, it's a task. It's, it's not just turn yeah. it on. You have to understand right. the definitions behind the labels and, and all of that to be able to, to run with that kind of technology. Yeah, and a lot of times for our clients, when we work with small and mid-market contractors especially, long before we get to those identifiers, we still have to have the education around, you know, what is available. You know, Azure Information Protection, Data Loss Prevention in the Microsoft Suite, really strong, really great tools. But let's first talk about what can you do with them. And even even before we get to the, the identifiers, how do we do that manually? You know, what what type of data do we want to do? Uh, do we want to make sure we isolate? How do we want to label that? What protections do we want to put on it? The Microsoft Suite does a great job of that baseline and that information at a file-by-file file level, but I think it's also a little bit of a challenge when we start getting to scale, and that's where those identifiers start to come into play. Um, but I think, you know, as, as you probably run into, there's some limitations to those identifiers, right? Yeah, uh, there, there are definitely some limitations. The first 
comment I would make around that is depending on what you're trying to do with the, the labels and, and the identifiers, you have to consider is this a, a single security issue? Is this uh, an end of life rule? Um, you, you need to understand how does this work within the full life cycle of collaboration? Um, that's definitely uh, something that we've seen a lot of, of question around is, I, I don't want to just do records management and I don't want to just do a single time security rule. I want to be able to modify this over time. Um, some take something from um, a draft where it is open to more people because the content inside of it is very, uh, is, is non-specific perhaps to, you know, when it, when does it cross the CUI line and how do we change the qualifiers around that? to when does it become a record or when is it time to destroy that content because it's no longer relevant. Uh, there are all sorts of, of limitations on, on how that works and the complexity of trying to do that, let alone the licensing questions and things around that side. Yeah. And, and it's important to really recognize that when we talk about these things in the abstract, it's, it's easy to talk about it almost in a, in an individual file level or, even in an individual contract or an individual project type level. I've got one project, all my CUI goes into one folder. I've got it under control. It's not so bad. But as soon as you start talking about that at scale, where you have an organization that's got multiple contracts, multiple projects, and again, it's maybe not the, the identification of that data is entirely clear on where it sits, and it starts to spread out a little more maybe in other organizations or other you know teams or SharePoint sites, that becomes uncontrollable very, very quickly. I know that's something you guys work with and, and it's seen as a challenge. It, it is, and it's, it's also interesting too as, as we shift to these technologies like Microsoft Teams um, where the, the tool is designed to be open for collaboration across your organization. Um, there are quest simple questions like information architecture and how does that affect what we're doing? Um, you know. Uh, the governance from Microsoft really has become a, a site collection level, that top level. Um, and, and where you're starting to think about your information architecture, your knowledge management and those things, uh, it changes that information architecture to the modern technology. You can't really have a very deep gov or information architecture anymore um, because how the, the tool set manages that is completely changed. It's, Everything's focused on metadata. It's focused at that top level. It's focused at the groups for security. Um, and, and you have to have uh, ways to augment that. Um, you know, make sure your controls are at the top level, uh, that workspace level. Make sure your planning is, is at that level. We have a, we've had conversations recently with, uh, with record teams looking at, you know, folder depth for being able to manage the types of records. And if you look at the capabilities of SharePoint and, and, Teams, which is, you know, using SharePoint for content, for the file content, do using that older information architecture becomes harder to support your automated rules, your trainable classifiers, et cetera. So what we do with our customers is, is we start to look at that workspace level and, and start to understand, okay, the first thing is, what is the purpose of this workspace? How are you going to use this workspace? Um, is it for a department? Is it for a special project or a customer? And then you can start to build your policies around that. Um, when we when we work with them to help define these types of workspaces, we start to build in you know mission or business focused questions. How is it going to be used? Who's going to have access to it? What type of data is going to be expected here? Um, and by doing that, you can begin to 
uh, apply your policies at the at the site level. Uh, the problem is natively uh, those those policies are tenant wide. So you can control things at a site level, but the automation of that is tenant wide. You're going to set your external sharing across the tenant. You're going to set your um, your uh, who can create things and what can they do with those workspaces, again, at the tenant level. So if you're trying to do it at a role level or a department level um, or based on a business case, then you have to have another method for trying to gather that information and then controlling the management and, and uh, provisioning uh, lifecycle aspects of those workspaces. Yeah, and these challenges are just exponentially multiplied when we get into the defense community and especially when we get into the small and mid-market contractor community, you know, most of the time there's not a dedicated SharePoint person on staff with most contractors up until a pretty high level of users. And even when they do, there might be one or two and they're design related. They're not policy and administrative focused. So even where we can, you know, we, we run into this situation where we are taking a brute force approach, we're locking everything down, which is not productive, or we're trying to either trust or or overwhelm whoever is managing these sites to, to know where to take those granular controls when they are available. And yeah. that level of expertise just doesn't exist in small and mid-market contracts. So we need to help with that. We need to, we need to kind of find ways, and this is where, you know, the, the tools come in of being able to give some of that intelligence and give some of that support so you don't need a tremendous, you know, PhD level in SharePoint permissions to be able to run an environment. Yeah, that's actually one of the first areas we try we try to help our customers understand, you know, why is a tool like AppPoint Cloud Governance valuable to you in, under, in, in managing your workspaces and managing your permissions? Um, like you said, to be able to understand all the areas that you need to look to check your SharePoint permissions, to check your group membership, um, especially when you're adding in the complexity of external users, uh, it, it becomes very hard. And when the requester of a workspace is the owner and SharePoint site uh, collection admin, um, it, you know, that, that aha moment often happens with our customers where they're like, wait, I, I can't expect Bill from accounting to understand how to uh, manage the permissions and make sure everything's safe. So our renewal and recertification process actually brings all of that information to, in a business context, to the people who run these workspaces. So they can see not only what are the group memberships for my team, but what are the unique sharing permissions that have been assigned to content within your workspaces? Um, when someone goes to file share within a Word document, uh, what sharing links have been created who have they been shared with, and what permissions were added to that. That sort of information uh, is something that you can't really expect the individual to understand how to do, as you said, without that PhD in SharePoint administration. Yeah, and, and there's multiple layers of complexity with this as well. You know, you know, there's there's the business layer. You know, the the mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a manufacturing plant, the the, the person that's on the shop floor may may have access to a certain amount of information for them to be able to do their job but they probably don't deserve access to the underlying design calculations and qualifications for you know how that part got built and what the stress loads are on it or other pieces to it so even within an organization there's a business piece that says well this environment this site, this, this team should only be accessed by a certain number of people and everyone who's in a different division 
should never have access to that. And and right. even when you get past that business level, a lot of times there's a licensing level as well. A lot of organizations right now are, are, are putting different flavors of licensing in their environment so that, you know, that, that engineer has the higher level license and some of the additional security features and for lack of a better word is an authorized or compliant user. But there are plenty of other folks in the organization that maybe they've made different business decisions on to save some money in licensing. And now we've got to kind of ripple that down into the governance to make sure those users never see that CUI data. Um, that takes it past just what permissions should you have, but enforcing the permissions and making sure that, you know, Bob in engineering doesn't inadvertently yeah. send it to Jenny on the shop floor because she has a question and he, you know, just in, in terms of convenience when Jenny never has the, the rights to, or the, uh, the authorization to see that information. Those are the types of challenges that are, they, they get to that level of complexity and then folks really don't even know where to start to kind of challenge to get, to get past it. Yeah, it's um, uh, we have a, a, an FSI, a federal systems integrator customer that we're working with that has uh, some significant contract uh, requirements and regulations that they have to consider around their data. And one of the big concerns they had when they came to us was exactly what you just described. How do I ensure that, you know, Bill does not share this document with somebody who is not permissed to see it? How do I make sure they don't go around, uh, around the requirements? You know, it is so easy for you to go and share that document uh, using some of the examples we've discussed already. So with them, what we've done is we've set up a couple of things. One, um, during the provisioning of their workspaces, we're identifying what contractual requirements there are around this content. So there's something called cost accounting standards. And so we're assigning the CAS groups to each of the workspaces that are being created. We're also assigning whether or not this has ITAR data. So we know if foreign persons are allowed to look at this data or not. Once we've done that during the provisioning stage and making sure that over time that hasn't changed through the renewal process, we then lock down all of the sharing capabilities. So you can't just file share a document with somebody. You have to follow some more strict guidelines, but only where that's necessary, only when the policy says this type of content can't be shared. The third thing we've done is we've added a means to include new people into the workspace. So natively, if you go file add user, or not file, within a team, you go to add users to the team, you know, there's some, there's some capabilities around that, but being able to check the CAS group, the foreign uh, status, uh, foreign national status of someone using Active Directory um, capabilities, it's really limited from a native capability. So what we've done is we've built some workflows within cloud governance to look at those stats from the group, whether uh, foreign nationals are allowed, whether uh, what CAS group is this, and then checking the people that are being added to this workspace to make sure that they meet the requirements. You know, if this is CAS Group 4, make sure that the person being added is in CAS Group 4. The big key for this customer was we want to be able to manage exceptions, not just the rule. So yep. they wanted the ability to say, okay, you're trying to add somebody who has foreign citizenship to a group that has ITAR data. Let's automate a uh, approval process where the cyber team and the uh, the correct people can, uh, the management, the cyber team, et cetera, can all approve this person being added to the group or being added to uh, the, the SharePoint site collection so that we're making sure that there is not just 
a means to control it, but then a means to, to, to have exceptions where those make sense. And that's, that's so key to this because we all know that, you know, our, our best laid plans are always going to set up a system that, that's going to cover 80, 90, maybe even 95 or 98% of the time. But there's always going to be that situation. You know, maybe there's an executive who's not part of that CAS group or, or part of that division that you set it up around, but they need access for some reason. Maybe you're pulling in a, you know, PM for something, uh, or it's just simply someone's rotating into the team and before the, the systems catch up to it, they need to get access to it. Uh, I love the fact that you guys have the ability to, and, and, you know, we've, we've been able to kind of understand how do we make that work? How do can we put that? And probably most importantly, we're recording those exceptions. So when you right. sit down for that audit and you can say, this is my team that has CUI or my teams that hold CUI data. Here are my access records around it. And by the way, here are the exceptions and I've got them all documented. We're all good to go. Uh, you know, not only have you developed and deployed a secure, manageable environment and a manageable piece is the important part on this. A lot of, in a lot of ways, you can also be to build those artifacts from an audit standpoint as well. So it's, it's, it's great to, to be able to do that. And I think, Again, kind of taking it, you know, back down to that small mid-market contractor standpoint without a level of experience, when we can put the system in place, when we can put the protocols in place and maybe fine-tune around the edges where, oh, you've got a special requirement or you've got a special layer or label that you want to use, we can do that. Mm -hmm. We can adjust it a little bit. But being able to get them off the ground and running very quickly with a kind of a structure using best practices really kind of accelerates that adoption curve. Yeah, the other uh, the other use case similar to what you're talking about there that we have uh, is with one of our federal agencies. Um, they want to make sure that when these workspaces are are created, and when I say workspace, 33 minutes in, I'm saying this. When I say workspace, yeah. I'm referring to SharePoint site collections. I'm referring to Office 365 groups, and I'm referring to Microsoft Teams. So everything we're talking yep. about fits across those those places. Um, so they wanted to make sure that when a team or a SharePoint site collection was created, that the right uh, uh, unified labels as well as the right metadata for records management were added to a default to all of the content areas. So yep. we worked with, we're working with them right now to define what are those labels, um, how, what is the metadata required for me records management, and how do the labels react to the security profile, um, and when you create a new workspace, what information do we need to programmatically assign those defaults to your workspace? Uh, so from a security perspective, knowing if it's ITAR, CUI, knowing uh, uh, what other regulated data types you may have so that we can set the right security labels. And then from a records and information management perspective, being able to understand what types of records data you're going to have uh, so that we can set the right metadata to support your records program. All of that at the time of provisioning. And if there's changes during a recertification and renewal process, um, being able to capture those changes and changing the policies uh, at those times. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, let's take a moment to mention the fact that, you know, we're talking about one end of the spectrum where we've got to lock down data. I think one of the great things also is there are situations in, and we can accommodate and build in the fact that we don't always need to lock down data. Now, occasionally, you'll build a team that, that you want the entire company to have access to. You want to provide right. information out. Maybe it's 
you know, the marketing communications team and they're putting out the, you know, copies of a Twitter feed or, or logos or collateral and you want broad based access to that, you know, we can set this up and deploy it and have a category when we roll these out that it's like, yeah, this, these are open. They're, they're intended to be open. It's not just all about locking down data. It's about understanding all of the various use cases and making sure you're accounting for them, including the ones that tend to be a little more open. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as a great example, Avpoint, we're 15 or so thousand employees globally. Um, you know, there are going to be areas like the public sector workspaces where they have to be locked down considering citizenship, considering uh, other security aspects. Um, but then there's going to be other areas like the Arlington office, which is purely for collaboration and designed to allow anybody who's a mem- who, who might visit the office to be able to access and see what events are going on. And, and I recognize during the pandemic, this is less important, but what events are going on? Um, we have a coffee club and a pie club that post regularly in there. So being able to support those kind of workspaces without bogging them down with the heavy security conversation we're having uh, with related to the CUI data, et cetera. I'm a big fan of pie. You got to get me in that club. So uh, <laughs> next time you come in there, too. absolutely. So let's talk a moment about about the end of a project and the end of that life cycle. You know, not not every contract lasts forever. Not every project lasts forever. There's a natural life cycle into that. Talk a little bit about how we periodically, uh, you know, either check for or at the, in the appropriate time decommission things and how these tools can work with it. Yeah, so one of the things that we've, that we've learned natively, there are some controls on lifecycle management of your workspaces. Um, and generally speaking, they are pretty straightforward. Uh, there is how often do you want a workspace to have to go through a renewal process, a lease process? Um, and if it's an active workspace, do you want it to have to go through that process? And the consideration here is this is a tenant-wide setting. So if you say every 12 months, I want my teams to have to renew, and if they're active, don't worry about it, then every single team goes through this process. What we do is we approach this from the business uh, perspective. Uh, So if you build a workspace that is for a project, how often do you want that project to have to renew their workspace? Uh, Versus if you're building the Avpoint Arlington office team, you know, that that office isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So we don't need that one to go to do a renewal every three months. Um, and so yeah. we take each workspace based on what we're expecting it to have, the type of data, et cetera. And we set a policy that makes sense for that. So for example, if you have a project that's going to have external users, guest access turned on, and you're going to have CUI data in there, you probably want to have the permissions recertified on a monthly basis to make sure those external users still need access to that workspace and that data. And you probably want to renew it every three or six months. But that Arlington office, you don't need that inf- that information. You know, the, the, the employees may change, but we're not talking about a secure data where, the, where you want to bog down your ad- administrators uh, with that many renewals. Now, besides the renewal process, we also build lifecycle management into this um, and a multi-phase lifecycle management. So you can uh, determine when is it time to lock people out and archive the space versus when is it time to delete that space and get rid of the content altogether. 
Um, the third piece of this would be from a records perspective, and again, one of our federal customers is doing this, is before we can archive or delete a team, for example, we need to make sure all of the records have been pulled out of there. And so they're using our Cloud Archiver product to identify the record exists inside of a team and moving it to a SharePoint site collection for long-term storage so that they can still perform their lifecycle action on the workspace uh, without losing that critical data. Yeah, and it, 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 that's such a longer-term thought, but, it, you know, you, you see how much data explodes, how much storage explodes over time, and, and mm-hmm. you know, being able to start to effectively kind of, you know, refine and, and kind of limit that state, that storage explosion with smartly getting rid of the data you want to get rid of is fantastic. And, you know, I think, I think we're yeah. such early phase in all this. A lot of the private companies aren't thinking about it yet, but they'll be getting there fairly soon in a couple of years. They'll be like, wow, how do I know to do this? And we do see that now, you know, we'll go in to do a migration from say commercial to GCC high and we'll see, and we're looking at our SharePoint and they've got sites that are five, six, seven years old at this point that, you know, they don't even know who's who. You know, yeah. they don't even know the name of the guy that supposedly created the site, much less the data that's in there. And um, you know, so being able to kind of start to manage that and control that's really powerful. So let's talk a little bit about deployment. Um, you know, talk, let's talk a little bit about what you recommend in terms of how we deploy the tool. How do people get started with it? So I'm going to start by saying it's never going to be perfect. If you wait until you're perfect, you're never going to deploy. And I have seen project after project uh, with Office 365. Heck, I've seen project after project with SharePoint before that, um, where when you're trying to make a perfect environment, you, you just never take the first step to production. So I'm going to say start small. Um, figure out uh, one of the approaches we take with our customers as we develop the service catalog that we utilize for uh, end users being able to make their requests, et cetera, uh, is start with your centralized core services. I know I need a provisioning service. I know I need a renewal service. I know I need a change security or change business owner service. So start there and deploy those things. And then as you recognize um, new services that are required across the organization, you can add them. But also, as you recognize that particular organizations, subsets of your organization need different rules, you you then begin to apply those separately. Now, with our service catalog, you have the ability to permission trim all of the services. Uh, so you can create your centralized core services and then your divisional or business unit services keyed to those specific people. Um, and, and But again, it's, it starts small and then grow over time. Governance, security, um, with, you know, three-year product life cycles, there was a possibility that you could revisit this conversation every three or four years. But with as often as Office 365 comes out, you have to have a living plan to adjust how you manage the system, um, what you offer your end users, how you train your end users. Again, this is not a set it and forget it thing. This is not a I'm not selling you a, a, a an air fryer that you set something up and walk away for 45 minutes. Like you have to constantly curate this. Um, yeah. The other thing is think about templates. So I talked about types of workspaces earlier. You you know you're going to have communities of interest. You know you're going to have um, or communities of practice. You know you're going to have projects. You know you're going to have departments. Start to analyze what are our default types of workspaces. 
And then from there, you can define how do I want people to use Office 365. For a community of interest or a community of practice, you're probably going to give them a SharePoint site collection for sharing files. You're probably going to want to make sure they have access to stream so, um, so that they can store videos and presentations as they share information with each other. Um, if you're in the commercial space, you might give them a Yammer community uh, because you know that it's going to be more of a, a, a whole of organization community rather than a subset of users. Um, so you can identify your types of workspaces, define how you want them to use the system, and then you can start to build out templates based on those expectations. But realize that a template is not just look and feel. It is what services, uh, Office 365 services, do they have access to by default? It is what policies uh, support those services from a security perspective, from a renewal and life cycle perspective, from a security, uh, from a records management perspective. So this is what a template is, and, and a tool like AppPoints Cloud Governance does support all of those capabilities. And, and then the last, Pete, is some, sometimes you may need to get some expert help on this. Uh, Microsoft has a great yeah. program for uh, customer success. Uh, if you're eligible for that, that's something you want to take advantage of. Uh, but then there are partners like, like C3 who can help you understand, you know, how do I wrap my head around this massive tool set and how we can best use it for my, you know, whether it's an enterprise organization or a small organization, uh, how, do we, how do we figure that out? And, and that's a challenge that we've embraced with, with our approach to this. We do a ton of work with small and mid-market con contractors. We see over time, we see certain use cases, we see certain profiles. We can, we can talk about how manufacturing organizations and professional services firms and engineering firms, you know, after you start working with a few of them, certain commonalities start to come in place. And that's where we're trying to have an impact on this is by taking, you know, some of your concepts around an immersion program and templates and some of the basic building blocks, applying them to common use cases that we see across, you know, multiple clients to kind of give that starter package to say, hey, we can get you up and running. We can we can show you what we see as best practices, both from a use case and from a, an implementation standpoint. These are, you know, these are the scenarios we see. I used this, you know, the manufacturing example earlier. Here's how we can kind of address these things. And, and then we're kind of fine-tuning around the edges rather than starting from scratch. Uh, and I, I think, interestingly enough, as you get into this, and as you go down in size, that constant tweaking and adjusting is going to be a little bit less. There will, they might, will never be set it and forget it, but we can set them up with something that's stable and has a fairly long use case, and, use, and then we can come in and tweak and adjust it as new, uh, new opportunities or new challenges come up for them. Yeah, yeah it, it is, it, you know, it, as you start to look at the capabilities of Office 365, of third parties, and whether or not you need their tool sets, uh, it can be a little overwhelming. And so really taking this piece by piece, um, there are often times where I walk into a customer and we're talking about governance and we're talking about security, and they're just like, I just don't see it right now. I say, okay, let's talk about where you are. You need X, Y, and Z. Your current requirements say that you don't need what I'm bringing to the table, and that's great. Roll that out, and then let's talk again in six months and see where you are. Let's let's understand, right. you know, both me as a vendor and you as a as a an IT department rolling this tool out. Let's understand that this is definitely a multi-phase thing, and and as you see changes in your environment, changes in the regulatory controls that that you need to consider, 
then then you need to revisit how you're deploying and that's when you can decide, okay, is it time to bring in that third party? Is it time to roll out this new feature? Is it time to upgrade our license from E3 to E5? Those are the types of things you need to do, but it is, it is a constant improvement, uh, constant uh, evaluation. And that comes full circle with everything. You know, we started the conversation. You know, t- take those those highest priorities things that are, that are required. If you haven't done MFA yet for some reason, get that done. If you're not doing your device management, your monitoring, there's other pieces that are. You know, make sure you've got the perimeter set and you've got your environment locked down. But we can also talk to you about. Okay, that's great. Over that horizon, once you get all those pieces in there and you start getting into that, those final pieces that are really going to help you get that security and compliance you want, we can start talking about that early on and give that expectation that, you know what, here's what your pathway looks like. Here's where you're going to wind up going. And when you're ready to start talking about these things, or what usually happens when someone comes to the IT guy and starts talking about it and identifying it as a need, they're ready to accommodate and respond to it. The thing I hate is if one of our clients ever gets caught flat-footed with something they didn't see coming or expected. We always try to make sure that they kind of have an idea and they know, okay, wait a minute, yeah, I've heard about this, I know about it, I might not be on it, but I know I can go get that answer really quickly. Hey, Bill, there's a, a question. I don't know if you saw it in the Q&A. Um, there's a question yeah. around vendor certification. Do you have any, any thoughts or, or comments around um, vendor certification and, and what percentage of them, uh, of them cover each of the various levels? Wow, that's, that's, a, um, that's a loaded question. Uh, um, you know, CMMC is still trying to figure that out. We're, we're really early on on that process. I think anywhere you look across the, the vendor ecosystem and the supply chain associated with it, whether it's the, the Microsofts and the Googles of the world who are providing the services, some of the monitoring services, the folks that are out there doing SOC and SEM services, or providers like us, everyone's wrestling with exactly where they need to go. We, we've We've made some commitments internally at C3. We're going to pursue at least a level three. Uh, we're doing everything we can to get there and be ready for that when those become available to us. Uh, but I think I turn that question back around and say, keep asking it. Keep asking that to every one of your vendors, every one of your suppliers. Make sure that they understand it. There's a good chance because of the maturity of CMMC, they may not have a final answer on that yet. But what you want to hear is that they're aware of it, that they're planning for it, and they are making effort towards it. Um, that's the biggest thing. When we go and vet vendors and we look at them, I'm looking for very specific things. I'm looking for how committed are you to the federal space? How committed are you to the defense space? Can you handle export control data? And, you know, certainly where are you going? What's your strategy to get there? I think it's a little early to ask where people are, but I think it's certainly early enough to start asking where are people going with that? Um, yeah. Because there's there's a coming earthquake in, in our industry around that as vendors start to have to sort that out and start making decisions around that. Yeah, as, as a software vendor, it has been very interesting to see our development teams have to evaluate and respond to the, the many uh, certification options there are, yeah. um, from ISO certifications to SOC 2 certifications to, uh, to, the, to FedRAMP, you know, being able to provide analysis on each of these, being able to provide, uh, potentially go through the certification process for each of these. That's something that your software vendors and that your vendors need to do. Um, they need to be able to provide you insight into where they are, why they chose their direction. Um, and, and, uh, you know, from AvPoint's perspective, we have a page that describes it on our website, uh, called our privacy and security page that lists all of our certifications. Um, but yeah, don't hesitate to ask, where are you on this? But, 
as a software vendor, I would ask that you ask with a little bit of grace for an understanding that it may take a, a yep. more than five minutes to get you the answer you're looking for. Yeah, and you know, it's a, you know, when we were looking at vendors and we approached AppPoint and talk about these things, it was going back actually before CMMC. I was getting a lot of kind of head scratching of yeah, BFARs. Tell me why this. Why tell me why this makes sense? And and um, you know, to, to to your credit as team at AppPoint. You guys have taken this seriously. We, we've talked to all those questions I just ran off. The answer is yes across the board to it. You guys have a serious commitment to to the industry, to the space. You're putting out products that have real good value to it. Uh, what we were able to do last year with, with uh, rolling out uh, backup and GCC High was a, a huge step in the right direction. Again, checking some boxes off before everyone else did. So, you know, uh, you guys are doing great work in that space, and I love the commitment you have to it. I appreciate that, Bill. It's been a very good partnership over the last year or so. Um, and, and, uh, and thank you uh, today. This was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed being able to share this information and being able to do it a little bit more. You know, I, I hope that this format was very valuable to people. Um, said, uh, from Go a local it. government perspective, how do you address organizations that assume all data are open records and what are the repercussions, repercussions if co compliance isn't met? It's an interesting question. Um, if you talk to an organization like NARA, uh, the National Archives, uh, their definition of a record does suggest that everything is a record. Um, the question is, is it a temporary record or a permanent record? Um, and it is up to the organization's records managers to help define that. I, just listening to a presentation this morning that talked about what is a records manager, how do, how do they have, you know, relate to software purchases and how do they relate to the business decisions? Um, so what are the repercussions of not meeting compliance around your records? Uh, they are dependent on your organization and the specific regulation you have to be focused on. But my, my recommendation to you to give you more of a, an answer and less of a, of a tap dance there is if you are considering that everything is a record, you have to make sure that your technical solution to support that supports life cycle of those records. Um, so when we, when AvPoint talks about records management, which uh, is a conversation in a much longer webinar, we talk about it from information management and records being one aspect of that. So from when something is created to when people collaborate on it to when it gets locked down and becomes a final copy to when it is destroyed, these are all various stages that your technology really needs to be able to support. Um, and if all you're doing is ha is creating a label that manages a disposition of a piece of content, you are not managing the full information lifecycle. You are simply managing the disposition. Uh, so that is something that you may want to consider. Bill, do you have any additional thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, we don't do a ton of work in the local space. It's it's a little bit out of my expertise. The one point I would put uh, the one point I would make though is is there's probably different flavors of compl compliance depending on what that data is, whether it, you know, if it's law enforcement data, it's going to fall under CGIS. If it's PII or, you know, if there's for whatever reason, some HIPAA com uh, components to it, you're, you're probably going to have different flavors of what that compliance needs to be. And that goes back to that business discussion. I think that's what you're alluding to. Find the person that's the expert in, in what the record should be. And then you can deploy from a technology standpoint, what their guidance is. It's a great, great, great response. Yeah. Uh, yep. So thank you so much for asking. I, I hope that was helpful. And uh, feel free to reach out if you want to have a deeper conversation on it. Um, so I think we've got about five minutes left on the schedule. If there are any other questions, I'm more than happy to stay on. But again, Bill, thank you so much. 
uh, for your time today. And uh, I look forward to one of us doing a wrap-up of this and, and posting it on the blog. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Jay. This has been a great conversation. Always enjoy talking with you and working with the AppPoint team. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue to develop these solutions and, and more and more tailor them for this CMMC challenge that everyone's facing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on how Kerasoft or AvPoint Public Sector can assist your organization, please visit www.kerasoft.com or email us at avpointpublicsector at kerasoft.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.